got some great songs there. Just going to um, share just a little bit on offering and um, giving. And um, I was really encouraged last week with Caleb's message on offering and giving. It was really clear and precise and uh, it made me start thinking about things again on along a certain line, I guess. Um, so thanks, Caleb. I was thinking, I wondered if I could ask this question to you and get you to put your hand up and if you're brave enough. Um, how many people learnt about giving from their parents, they reckon? From seeing their parents give or their parents having a, a lifestyle maybe was giving. I can put my hand up. My, my dad was really generous to the embarrassing state. <laughs> really generous. Anybody else had, had a, f- a family situation where you actually learnt, you feel you learnt about giving and offerings and all that sort of thing from your parents? Good. Anybody learn about tithing from their parents? Anybody learn about tithing from your parents? I actually did. My, my mother was an Anglican and I learned it from her. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, anybody learn tithing from their parents? Yeah, great. Who learn about tithes and offerings from their parents? I did. Can I just encourage, encourage the parents here? Kids really watch what you do. Kids, kids really, really understand your lifestyle better than you think. And uh, they actually follow your style of life until they get to the stage where they're going to make some choices themselves. And, uh, yeah, I would like to just encourage um, all the uh, parents to keep um, projecting or keep that lifestyle going so that your parent, your kids can see what is tithing about? What is giving about? What is generosity about? They will pick it up like that. Do you know, kids really pick up things so quickly. I was talking to a mum the other day. She's got a little two-year-old and she's saying, I went into the lounge room where my child usually plays, the little girl, and here she was my phone saying, Siri, Siri, play music. <laughs> Nobody had shown her. Kids pick up. They pick up life, they pick up you, so please, can I just encourage, um, yeah, encourage parents to just keep projecting that out uh, of generosity um, to your kids and let them, uh, let them learn uh, from it. Um, so I was thinking about uh, what the, uh, Caleb was um, talking about and... Um, yeah, I began to think about um, times when we've had maybe in worship or times when God's spoken to us where we've got to that point and the, the, the word we're hearing coming from someone preaching or in the worship is, do you surrender all? And I reckon we'd all have been to a point somewhere in our Christian experience where, you know, oh, I surrender all, Lord. I surrender all. 
And that's just, uh, isn't it? That's a yielding of ourselves to God. And uh, I, as I was thinking about this, and I felt a little sentence came out to accompany that thought, and it was, uh, well, do you just surrender your money as well? Is that part of your yielding? <laughs> I surrender all. I've sung it lots of times. And this little phrase came out, well, does that include your money? Uh, I'll let you answer that yourself. But I think, I think yielding has a lot to do with, yielding to God and to his will has a lot to do with how we handle our money and how we respond in giving and how much our heart is attached to our giving. It's, it's, it involves, um, yeah, it involves um, yielding. One little thing that I've helped, has really helped me in in giving, uh, not so much tithes and offerings because I believe that's a, a stated fact, but in the extra offerings that you give and where you give and listening to God saying, how much do I give and where do I give it? Um, one little thing that's really helped me and it, it came from Leroy Thompson a long oh, years ago and he, learnt, he, he used the word... Um, money missionary or money with a mission or learning that the money that you sow or the money that you give is like the money has a mission it has a purpose or it's like let's 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 put it this way it's like say you can't go overseas as a missionary but you put money in to where god tells you is a mission and you support it, then your money becomes the missionary. <laughs> it becomes the money that goes there to to help the mission happen. And I just I, I just felt impressed that um, yeah we we what what helps or what has helped me is to know that my money you just don't blow your money. You know, like you might buy something somewhere and you blow your money. <laughs> we say we blew, blew our money on such and such. Money that you give as an offering is never blown. It has a purpose, it has a reason, and that's to extend the kingdom of God. It's money with a mission. It's money uh, sowing into God's kingdom. It's always money that does something. Our money is so powerful, you know. Uh, it, it's such a powerful thing. And I'm not talking about amount, but I'm talking about, you know, the giving. If you, haven't ha if you are blessed with a lot of money, uh, that's fabulous. And and uh, listen and use it use it as God tells you, but I'm not. I'm just talking about you know lots of us are just uh, maybe God talks to us and says you know so here so there uh, with our money. Uh, I think I think this this aspect has really encouraged me that to know that money is so powerful. It's like having an explosion in it. It's a supernatural power. It's a supernatural explosive. Uh, dynamite that's in it, <laughs> if I can say it that way. It's like picking up some dynamite and saying, there's a lack there, <whistles> boom, and your money explodes it and replaces it with hope or love or kindness or, you know, it just replaces it. Uh, and that's really helped me, helped me in my giving is to understand that God has a purpose with the money. It actually does something. 
It's not just getting rid of your money. It's actually got a purpose and it's got a dynamic spiritual purpose. It's like a bit of dynamite that you throw at something that isn't where it should be at and God does something with it. So I'd just like to encourage you um, with that today. I also would like to just give an opportunity to give into some mission because we have um, a mission in Fiji. We have a school that we support um, through Marion. But each year at Christmas time, we actually give a gift of a book, um, a reading book to each student. There's 100 students there. Uh, but for the last 13 years that the school's been running, every Christmas time we actually, in their awards or presentations, we give a Christmas gift of a book. A book is because they don't get books there. You don't, you don't go into a shop and buy reading books. They don't have them. Uh, and also that it's, it's to give them some reading material for home. They read them between each other. They swap them around. Uh, and the more they learn to read, the better things will work out you know, for them. So I'd like to give you this opportunity. And I say ask, ask God about whether you should or you shouldn't. That's fine. We don't want to be doing things that we don't want God to be, to have us involved in. Um, but it works out probably with postage about $10 um, a child. So if you're happy to, uh, or if you'd like to be involved in it, um, if you just get an offering envelope and write Fiji books or school books or whatever, post it or just tap on the little square reader uh, and just put a reference, uh, NCTC or Fiji books, that would be really, really appreciated. So, um, so thanks for that. Okay, that's good. This morning, we are doing something a little bit different. We have a video teaching we're going to watch this morning. It's um, a teaching in line with what I began to teach on a fortnight ago. It's to do with the fivefold ministry. It's to do with um, the foundation of how God would have his church to be operating globally and locally because the global church is still a local church, okay? God is in the local church but we have a global vision when we're saying the church, okay? So this teaching is, is one of Corey Turner from Numa Church in Melbourne. Um, that is where I have been spending a bit of time when I'm not here on Sundays, that's where I am. Um, I've also been to a few conferences down there. And I am... I don't have a lot of time this morning to share about what's... Um, happening with the teaching and everything, but I'll catch up with that later on. So we're starting this teaching where it begins in the book of Ephesians, talking about the fivefold ministry, the fivefold church, and this is 
to make it brief, the direction we as a church are heading in, we've always desired to be operating in this, but this really unpacks it as a great foundation. And then later on, I'll do some further teaching, opening up different areas of the fivefold church. So if you'd like to uh, focus your vision on there, and uh, we'll get straight on with it. application as well as our understanding. So here we go. Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all and in all. How many of us know, we, maybe Paul's trying to get a point across to us about unity. But grace, verse seven, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the focus here is on our unity that is found because of Jesus. And now we're looking at Christ's gifts, the fivefold office of Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men, and I would add, and women in Jesus' name. In saying, verse nine, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 12, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children or immature. Obviously, Jesus in the Gospels called us to be childlike. Unless we become like little children, we will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word behind this is not talking about childlikeness when it comes to humility and hunger and an honour for God like a child with a father. It's talking about immaturity so that we would not be immature And we would be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or reasoning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's begin today by talking about the vision of fivefold ministry. Um, the revelation of fivefold for me really began as a pastor's kid. I grew up as a pastor's kid. My parents were in full-time ministry for 40 years. And in fact, um, seven years ago when my mum passed away and uh, my dad then came out of retirement, Uh, the team here at Numa said, hey, we want to recruit your dad to come on team. And so my dad is actually on our team serving in a pastoral discipleship capacity. 
And it's, it's both wonderful and almost surreal that all those years of observing my own father in ministry and my, my mum, now there is this, uh, you know, um, journey that we're walking on, which is just beautiful. But growing up as a pastor's kid, I, I saw firsthand the demands upon a senior leader. And, uh, and, and I saw the expectations of people that they have towards senior leadership. And all of us feel those expectations. Some of those expectations are realistic, um, but many of them are unrealistic. And many of us are trying to measure up, not only to the expectations of others, let alone the expectations of ourselves. And it produces this pressure and almost structure punishment that can really cause us to, to lack meaningful relationships in our own lives and ministry uh, as really uh, put pressure on us to be all things to all people. Then when I began to answer the call of God and serve in ministry on several sort of churches across uh, the city here in Melbourne, had incredible spiritual fathers and mothers and uh, Dr. Allen and Helen Meyer have been instrumental in, in Simona and my journey of development. I had the privilege of serving a youth young adult pastor with them and now uh, Dr. Allen and Helen are actually elders in our church and, and, and really launching all things Careforce Life Keys into Numa Life Keys as we go on the journey. And many of you are familiar with that ministry. And so I've been blessed and fortunate for all that God has shown me and served on different teams. But I also saw the dynamics of churches and ministries that, that have a particular emphasis and focus that where there are some other graces that may be lacking in the life of the church and in the context of the ministry of the house. Then when we planted a church back in 2006 with 13 people in a lounge room and no money and the, the advice I was given by a man of God who gave us $2,000 to plant a church was sink or swim. And, uh, and so I learned in those early days a life of faith and, and what it means to, to believe for hand to mouth. And, and we started to dip our foot in the water into all things fivefold. It was a little bit hit and miss. How many of us know sometimes in ministry, you stumble upon things and you experiment, you try things out. And so uh, in those early days of planting, we really began to wrap our hearts and minds around what could fivefold ministry look like. And yet still I had this sort of department sort of idea and I was influenced by various corporate sort of approaches and models. And so it was sort of like a hybrid, started to feel a little bit like the Bride of Frankenstein, not the Bride of Christ. And so um, we sort of learned our lessons and made our mistakes and, and, and had a lot of great experience. And yet, I, as we handed that church onto our spiritual son and that church is now kicking forward, moving, bought their own building, the church is flourishing and prospering and really had taken on that DNA of fivefold. And then God called us into the wider body to be itinerant for six years. And so for 47 weeks a year, for six years, uh, I was in a different city, different country, different galaxy, and we were sort of traveling around with our family. And a lot of that time was spent Australia, Asia, and Europe, a little bit in the States. And so God gave us a box office seat into what was taking place in the wider body. There are, there are, how many know there's challenges to both leading a church and blessings? There's challenges to being itinerant and blessings. And one of the blessings of being itinerant is you get this panoramic sort of perspective and, and bird's eye view of how God's moving, what God's doing in the wider body. And I began to see in all of my observations and then coming into the leadership of this house 
that essentially many point leaders of churches and ministries suffer from structure punishment. They're expected on any given day to be all things to all people, from the scholar to the social reformer to the political activist to the social media commentator to the theologian to the preacher to the pastoral carer, the doctor, the healer, the parent, you name it. We're in this room, we're all expected to be all things to all people. And people put on us incredible and unrealistic expectations. And it presents to us all sorts of challenges. And so for many leaders, because uh, it's sort of like, you know, the saying, monkey see, monkey do, because maybe we were raised with a, in, in a ministry that had a, a lone ranger concept of leadership and ministry, we embrace that and adopt that because maybe we haven't seen a, a better model or example. And so a lot of our sort of pastoral model approaches to senior leadership and ministry of teams sort of for me reflects and represents an old covenant wineskin in a New Testament team mandate. Sort of operating as lone rangers rather than actually operating as Marvel Avengers. I mean, even Hollywood gets this. Have you noticed that all the action movies and superheroes are now in teams and families? Because we worked out that didn't work well for Rambo and Terminator and Bruce Willis Die Hard. Now you've got the Hulk and Thor and all of the Marvel's Avengers and Justice League all together working together because everybody knows no one can do everything. No one can handle everything wisely and no one has all the answers in and of themselves. Can I hear a good amen? The only person that has is the Son of God. And yet the Son of God chose to build a team. The Son of God chose to build foundational government of disciples and called them apostles. And then he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And so I know that most of us in this room would agree and believe in the concept of team. But unfortunately, many of the body of Christ and myself included at times have not waded into and pressed into the revelation and practice of fivefold ministry. Team ministry is a given. Fivefold is a whole nother stratosphere when it comes to how we operate and how we approach our ministry. And so meanwhile, while all of this is taking place and, and we're doing our ministries, we see unfortunately the media is filled with all sorts of leadership scandals and, and we see leaders that are falling morally and it saddens our hearts and breaks our heart. And all while this power, this, this wineskin, this vision and revelation, this apostolic architectural blueprint of the fivefold ministry is staring us in the face and God's like, I've got a solution for you, church. I've got things to help you. It's not just about addressing matters of morality or character. It's about understanding how God has wired up his body and his leadership to work. You know, I came across a fascinating uh, piece of history. In AD 410, the Roman Empire was destroyed. But someone forgot to tell the Roman governor in Northern Britain, who a decade after the Roman Empire fell, was still building according to the blueprint that he had been shown decades before. He was still building infrastructure. He was still building logistics. And Roman philosophy, ideology and culture in his part of the world when the rest of the world had actually moved on. 
I think in the same way, we as the church and we as leaders need to come in low and humble ourselves and acknowledge sometimes maybe how we're building and what we're building is maybe unsustainable and maybe even worse yet, could not actually be reflective of the biblical pattern and revelation that God has given to us. And so I love what Albert Einstein says. He says, the problems of the world can't be resolved with the same thinking that created the problems in the first place. We need new thoughts. How many of us know Isaiah 55? The Lord says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts, so are my ways. So if our ways or God's ways are gonna become our ways, then we're gonna begin to think like God. And we need to ask God to give us a paradigm shift more than anything else over these next two days. I'm believing for an impartation of spirit and power. But I'm also believing that a big part of what's gonna happen these next few days is a paradigm shift, is a renewal of our mind around this where we dust off this beautiful truth and we look at it and we say, okay, what are we gonna do with the revelation that Paul had about the fivefold ministry as it applies to the maturing of the church. So what's the problem? Henry Snow, before you can identify the solution, you've got to know what your problem is. Many times we're trying to, you know, find the solution without first identifying what's the essential issue? What's the problem that, that we're actually navigating as leaders? And the problem, as, as Paul in sort of in the opposite truth addresses is that we as the church are not maturing into the full measure of the stature of Christ as Christ intended. It's happening in pockets, yes. It's happening in different places, different ways. And, uh, but by and large, the church is not attaining to the fullness of what we read in verse 12. What is the fivefold given for? Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. Here it is, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For all of our efforts in ministry, Western culture is still largely secularized. And unfortunately, some of the church is still powerless. We're in real danger of 2 Timothy, where Paul says prophetically to Timothy that in the last days will come times, come difficult times. Some will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, having the appearance or the form of godliness, but denying its power. And so we're in a day and an age where there is a celebration of form versus the substance of power that actually affects change. And this is not just about an individual leader getting in the prayer room and spending 10 hours a day in the prayer closet and coming out like a raging animal filled with fire and power. This is also a truth about how we are conducting our ministries, how we are operating and working together. And so Jesus said in John 14, 12, that even greater works than these will you do. And my question is, well, where's the greater works? And I'm not just talking about in, in pockets and in locations or in my own life. I've asked that question many times in my own life. I'm talking about collectively and corporately. 
we all should be growing in a full measure and stature of who Jesus is. As He is, so we are to be. All right? And, and, and so if, if there is a lack in the church or in our ministries, how many of us know the lack is never on God's end? When the disciples couldn't set the, the, the father's son free from the tormenting spirits coming against him, couldn't heal, minister freedom to the boy, they, they didn't come to Jesus and say, why couldn't you cast the demon out of the boy? They went into the green room after the service and said, hey, why can't we? What, what, what's the issue here? And Jesus says, yep, there's a lack. This kind, this kind of problem, this kind of issue and stronghold can only come out and be dealt with through an investment of prayer and fasting. There are some battles that will only be won as we invest ourselves and recognize our lack and actually begin to apply ourselves. Where does that lack come from? Well, 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a really important passage. It talks about as we behold His glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We're being conformed into the same image. I think one of the reasons why there is lack is because we're too busy looking at each other and human models rather than actually looking at Jesus. We actually need to get our eyes back upon Jesus. We've become so enamoured with the art of leadership and what this place is doing, that place is doing, that place is doing. We've forgot the simple call to obey Jesus' declaration and command. Come, follow me and I'll make you something. We say to leaders all the time, hey, stop trying to make yourself something. Just follow him, he'll make you something. He'll make you a fisher of men. And, 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 and we've got to get our eyes back on the author and founder of our faith. How many know Jesus is perfect theology? It doesn't get any better than Jesus. And so for 2,000 years, this, this beautiful picture of Jesus and the fivefold ministry gifts have been staring us in the face. But whilst we as the church have acknowledged it in different centuries, in different seasons, we've largely ignored the outworking and practical application of it in our local churches. We've acknowledged it from a distance. We may fly in the evangelist or the prophet but very rarely have we seen a, a, an example, a pattern of the fivefold wineskin in action in the local church. And so the lack calls for transformation. There needs to be a transformation. Harris, no, we are a transformational movement. We, 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 we are calling people into a life of transformation. We as leaders, as we behold His glory and walk with Jesus, are being transformed and conformed into that same image. And so if we are going to uh, move into fullness out of lack and, and reach this goal that Paul is talking about, we need to understand that the issue isn't just a moral one or a character one, as it's often talked about when it comes to transformation. It's also an anointing one. It's a wineskin one. The church will not reach the goal without the fivefold ministry, firepower in the life of the church. And so the Old Testament, New Testament records that when change is needed throughout history, 
both in Israel, we see in the Old Testament, I've been doing a lot of my devotional reading recently in the Old Testament, fascinating journey, particularly as you get to Chronicles and Kings, you know, it's like, you know, um, God's changing leaders up like we're changing underwear. It's like, you know, it's like, you're out, you're fired, you're gone, you know, and, and it's like this constant rotating change in Israel. Why? Because when God's wanting change in His church, He deals with leadership. He deals with leadership. And right now in the body of Christ, all the chess pieces on the chessboard are moving. This is a significant season of transition in the body of Christ. He's turning things upside down, right side up. It's not about who's the next one or what's the next thing. It's about Jesus has always been the supreme thing. I just think we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we're like, you know what? Maybe he got it right at the beginning. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's go back to the pattern. Let's go back to what it's all about. I had pastors saying, what's the next model? There's no next model. The only model is Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he's been staring us in the face with all of his treasures and revelations and tools in his toolbox for 2,000 years. But we're too busy caught up in human reasoning, looking at the latest show down the road rather than actually looking and staring at Jesus as we behold His glory, we are transformed. That isn't just about your character, your spirit. That's about your whole ministry, your whole life. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to restore and recover what has been there all along. And I firmly believe and I declare in Jesus' name that as the 16th century saw a great reformation, can it be said of the 21st century that there is a great recalibration, there is a great reset of the Spirit that the Lord is calling us back to five-fold ministry in our leadership structures and how we do what we do. I love what Richard Niebuhr says. He says, great revolutions in Christianity don't come by discovering something new, but recovering what's been there all along. So we've got to ask the question, what's the solution? Now that we've identified the problem, we've all had therapy together, we've all worked it out, we've solved the world's problems, what's the solution? And I, and I really believe that the, the, the revelation of Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus is critical for us. We've got to restore the original pattern of fivefold ministry to local church leadership. We've got to restore the original pattern of fivefold ministry to local church leadership. Not just movement leadership, local church, teams, church plants, campuses, whatever it may be. Verse 11 and 12 is this beautiful collaboration, relationship, this ecosystem of ministry gifts and graces. And he gave, when Christ ascended, his gifts descended, he gave gifts to men and to women. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd and the teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Now, when it comes to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, we see... Um, uh, gifts of the Spirit in action. And often there's this misunderstanding around, you know, gifts of the Spirit and the, the ascension gifts. The gifts of the Spirit is the gift itself as a supernatural ability is the gift. 
that is in function and operation. When it comes to the fivefold office of Christ, the person is the gift. The office carrier, the individual, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher. You, if you're a fivefold ascension gift ministry, you're, a, you're the gift to the body. And you can't, you know, take great pride in that because you didn't do anything to earn it. This is why it cracks me up when leaders go into performance mentality and orientation about their gifts and their platform and this. Well, you didn't do anything to earn it. You, 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 you may have paid a price to follow Jesus and obey Jesus, but at the end of the day, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from uh, the Father of lights of whom there's no shadow of variation due to change. So I can't take pride in my office, my call and my gift because I didn't do anything to earn it. It was freely given. So it's important we understand the distinction between gifts of the Spirit and the gifts of Christ given to the church. Now, historically, the church has embraced evangelists, pastors, and teachers. By and large, we see that there has been pastors and teachers at the helm and most leaders in a local church context you know, anywhere, but particularly Pentecostal charismatic movements would identify a leader in the church as a pastor. How many of you know, just because someone has a title pastor, wear the badge pastor, doesn't mean they're a pastor. Doesn't mean they're a five-fold pastor. In fact, I know a lot of pastors that are very unpastoral. And you're like, why are you a pastor? And so, you know, uh, and, and, and so... And so, but we understand that term, mainstream public sort of gets that term. We get it, we understand it, we embrace it. And then the concept of evangelist tends to be this itinerant sort of roving ministry that we fly in for the great weekend of harvest and soul winning and signs and wonders, mess everything up. Now leave before you unsettle everyone any further. And we sort of get this concept of the fly in, fly out sort of idea, but we don't necessarily have this revelation of how do these fivefold collaborative gifts work in the context of week in, week out in the local church? Could it even be possible? I'm here to tell you it is. And this is what God intended, all right? Then over the last 30 years, we've, we've all sort of in, in some ways in the wider body bought into the lie. You know what the lie is? L-I-E, leadership, influence, and excellence. Is it okay if I just throw the cat amongst the pigeons? Yeah, all of us would agree. Romans 12, leadership gift, absolutely. We agree that's important. We understand the importance of its significance. But the Romans 12 leadership gift is not the same as the fivefold ascension gift ministries of Christ. Fundamentally different. It's a gift of the Spirit that functions and operates, okay? But you can have a gift of leadership and not be an equipper in ascension gift ministry. Now, you'd hope those two things are together, but often that is not the case. And so we've elevated and emphasized a mammoth amount of books. We went to all the conferences. We bought the T-shirt. It was amazing. It was incredible. And then we espoused all things influence, excellence. We looked at all the definitions. Amazing. But what that has often produced is a more corporatized expression of ministry called the CEO. And so because of all of the human reasoning and all of the humanistic secularism models that are espoused by all sorts of self-help literature, leadership literature, business literature, we've all bought into that. Meanwhile, God's book is getting ignored. 
The revelation of the word, I'm not saying those things can't help, but the revelation of the word is getting ignored. And so we're spending all of our time reading other people's textbooks and interpretations rather than actually looking at Jesus and the fivefold office of Christ. Ephesians 2.20 says, we are members of the household of God. If you're a son and daughter of God, you're a believer, you are and I are members of the church. What is it built on? The foundation of apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now we know that this isn't just a reference to the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New. That's one layer of foundation. But because Jesus is still giving fivefold ascension gift graces to the church, the church is still being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And if Jesus is the cornerstone, and in, and in antiquity, the cornerstone shapes every other brick that is connected to it, then Jesus as the pattern, Jesus as the cornerstone has given us the pattern of fivefold ministry, then we need to look at, are we in alignment with the cornerstone? Are we in alignment with the pattern that Jesus has actually given to us? My observation and experience is if one grace is missing in the life of a local church, the church will default to and lean into the dominant grace on the senior leader. And, and that, that's, that's good and okay to a point, but then it begins to rear its ugly head in strengths and weaknesses. And you know, every grace has a strength and a corresponding weakness. And your strength can actually become your weakness if it isn't counterbalanced by the other graces. And so a church that is primarily led by a five-fold ascension gift pastor will emphasize healing, reconciliation, restoration, discipleship of the whole person through the multiple generational stages of life from the womb to the tomb. Thank you, Jesus. Hatch, match, and dispatch. We're there. The pastor's there. Awesome. But often that pastoral grace, whilst it has this beating heart for people, is not always graced for evangelism. And so the church can become very insular and bubble effect and internal looking because everyone's caring for each other, but there isn't new babies coming into the kingdom of God because there isn't this unsettledness and stirring about new souls in the kingdom. Same too, if maybe a teacher, a fivefold teacher is leading a church and they're called pastor, but they're not pastoral, they're a teacher. And so they're there, the church will know their Bible back to front. They'll understand Genesis 1 through to Revelation 22. They'll understand how to read it, how to apply it, how to live it. They'll be able to quote to you all of the essential doctrines. All of the life groups will be students of the Word. It'll be amazing, it'll be powerful, it'll be great teaching, but maybe it might lack some of the prophetic. Maybe it might lack some of the dynamics of the apostolic grace. This is about outward looking, global mission, forward thinking. Let's advance and plant in other places to actually advance the governing influence of King Jesus in other places. It's more about building a platform for the teacher to use their gifts to teach to people. Am I right or am I right? What can happen is whatever the dominant grace on the leader is, the whole church will go that way. And and so the other graces sort of bring a counterbalance to that. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we read, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, workers of miracles, this is the kicker, gifts of administration. Who would have thought that administrators and workers of miracles are in the same sentence? (laughs) Pastors and evangelists don't even get a, a look in in that list. And yet there is this emphasis on only the pastoral anointing. We're not putting down the pastoral anointing. We just need to understand that there's been an over-accentuation on one particular grace and there needs to be an equal partnering and collaboration of all the graces for the church to reach the goal. Churches that only operate with pastors, teachers and evangelists tend to default to being very people-centric. Thinking a lot about how do we deliver ministry to people? Because the pastor is thinking about how do we care for people and see people restored. The evangelist is thinking about how do we save people and and see people come to the kingdom. The teacher is thinking about how do we teach people and help them grow and understand the truth to grow strong in God. But it's the apostle and the prophet that is actually, first of all, trying to discern what on earth is heaven saying? What's the vision? What's God saying right now and about where we're heading? And it's only as apostles and prophets come together with evangelists, pastors and teachers to deliver heaven's priorities to people that we can see the church grow into the full measure and the stature of Jesus Christ. Think about the first priority of the great commandment, love God. With all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And a second is like it, love your neighbor. Love people like you love yourself. How many of us know in life, horizontal relationships get really weird when the vertical is not healthy? All manner of dysfunction and toxicity, etc. We cannot effectively love people on the horizontal plane if we haven't, first of all, clarified and prioritised our vertical relationship with God. The same concept applies in ministry. The apostolic and the prophetic is centred primarily on that vertical dynamic of what is the Spirit of God doing and saying and how do we work with the other graces to minister that and to deliver that into the lives of people. When people demands take precedence, Over the priorities of heaven, the church's momentum slows. It only took four chapters. In Acts chapter six, from Acts chapter two, Super Bowl Sunday, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, only took four chapters for the church's momentum to slow and stop. And it stopped because the apostles were trying to meet the demands of people. And a lot of us feel the tensions of people demands versus heaven's priorities and we're stuck in the middle. And we feel the Lord asking us to do things, calling us to do things, but we also feel the demand of people. And, 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 and it's not that one person has to be all things to all people, we have gotta work together to meet both the people demands. But first of all, we need to satisfy heaven's priorities. And so the apostles, were that the, the, a complaint arose. And often the pressure points are revealed through complaints. 
A complaint is not always the worst thing. I know as personally, we don't want anyone to complain. Don't tell me any more complaints. I don't wanna hear any complaints, but it could be the complaint is the key to us getting back on where we need to get back onto in our ministry, right? And so frustration sometimes has a purpose and an end outcome that's better than what we sort of think. And so here is the apostles and the complaint comes that the Greek speaking widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. There's an issue, there's a demand. And the apostles recognize that the momentum of the church has slowed. And they said, it's not right. It's not that it's not important, but it's a matter of priority. It's not beneath us. We're gonna make sure it gets tended to. But we are called to focus on a few things. Prayer, ministry of the word, heaven's priorities. It doesn't mean, and I mean, it's the most un-PC, uh, unpolitically correct passage of scripture and sort of people look at it and go, you know, don't they have a servant heart? Yeah, absolutely. But apostles and prophets understand about uh, stewardship and alignment and allocation and empowerment of the body to do certain ministry. And so the apostles and prophets, uh, the apostles decided that they were gonna empower a group of leaders full of the spirit and full of faith to take on this practical people demand task get that met, and then they were gonna get back to what God was asking them to do. And the Bible says, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, the church's momentum, Momojo, kicked back in because the apostles were rightly focused, what is it that God is saying and asking us to do in the ministry of our word and the speaking gifts and all that God has called us to do and we're empowering the body of the church to also fulfill the functions of meeting the people demands. When the apostles and prophets stay focused on heaven's priorities and they join together with the heart for the, for the people in the evangelist, pastor and teacher, the body can grow into its full measure and stature of Christ. Now, the biggest obstacle, how many of us know there's a few obstacles to embracing fivefold ministry? And, and there are practical obstacles, there's all sorts of obstacles. And I, I think the biggest obstacle to embracing fivefold ministry is if we ignore this biblical pattern and we simply just follow human reasoning. And I think in verse 14, Paul sort of warns us against the influence of human reasoning, defining our approach, not being deceived by human cunning and human reasoning and, and deception and, and, and the immaturity of that. And so human reasoning doesn't have heaven's interest primarily in mind. Human reasoning is primarily focused upon what is it that we're doing, how are we performing, how are we delivering outcomes. And so you just ask Peter, when he suggested to Jesus that Jesus shouldn't die. Remember that? Matthew 16, there was a stinging rebuke and Jesus said, essentially, get behind me, Satan. Why, Peter? Because your mind is not set on heavenly truths or realities. Your mind is set on earthly realities, human reasoning. Human reasoning will be the biggest obstacle that gets in the way of the revelation of fivefold ministry in the local church. There are several reasons why. Is this helping anyone, by the way? There are several reasons why we wouldn't embrace fivefold ministry. Number one, the default is the corporate model. And so because of compliance and because of governance issues and because of what the government requires of us and because of all the books and because of all the conferences and because of all, 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 we sort of, that's what we see, that's what we do. 
And so the default is, well, everybody else is doing it, let's just join the party, corporate model. And there are aspects of that that is needed and relevant. And in any church, particularly as it grows, there are operational, organisational dynamics that need to be attended to. Can't just all sit in the prophet's cave and just pray and worship and prophesy over ourselves. And and someone's got to do stuff to help the organisational life of the church happen. We get that. We understand that. And and it it is really challenging to navigate the increasing complexity of compliance in our day and age. And anyone who sits on boards and understands all of those dynamics would say yes and amen. That's one of the obstacles. Another obstacle is the power dynamics of the senior leader being seen to be the Pope and the emperor of their empire. And so I call it the genius with a thousand helpers model concept where as long as the genius is healthy and well and as long as all the workers and the minions and the helpers are helping the power structure of the Pope, of the emperor, we're all good. But the moment that the Pope's not well and the moment that the emperor gets a little bit off course, all the workers and helpers are like, what do we do? This is a bit close to home, isn't it? And so some of us really enjoy those power dynamics and build everything around those power dynamics, maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously because of how it makes me feel or how it makes you feel. And so we begin to build things according to what makes us feel comfortable rather than what's the pattern and the model that's gonna be best for the church. Another reason why we might not embrace this is because simply of pride. We just think we know better than Jesus, all right? And we don't really need to talk any more about that because that's just doesn't make sense, right? Another reason why we may not embrace it is because we're insecure in our identity. And, and so the title or the concept of us being the senior pastor, senior leader or whatever team leader we're responsible for is sort of, we find a sense of significance and worth in that rather than in a revelation of sonship. And this is why the revelation of the Father heart of God and an identity of sonship is so critical to be taught in our congregations and in our leadership teams because otherwise people start attaching their worth, their value, significance and titles uh, or their identity to titles. And this becomes a real factor as we go on the next 48 hours when there might be an aha moment where you go, hey, maybe I'm not the apostle. Maybe I'm not this. Maybe I'm not that. Maybe I actually need to make room for other graces to speak into this space. But if our identity and worth is attached to a role, a position or a title, we're gonna find it very difficult and be reluctant to actually be able to make more room. Because fivefold wineskin requires deep personal security in Christ, in our identity in Christ and the Father heart of God. It requires the posture of sonship. Another reason why we may not embrace it is because simply we've got an aversion to change. And how many of us know there's enough change fatigue out there 
for us to, here we go again, we're changing another month. And so maybe we're just comfortable, we've got change fatigue, and we're like, you know what? I can't do any more change. Um, and this is gonna be a journey to embrace this. Another reason why we may struggle to embrace it is simply because of ignorance. My people suffer for a lack of knowledge, Hosea 4, 6. We just don't know how. And whenever we're ignorant of something, um, that's not weakness, but what it does, it produces a fear. So it's like, I don't know what this could look like. I don't know what this could mean. When you're ignorant of the dark, what's in the dark, there's a fear of it. The moment the light's switched on, you're no longer ignorant, you're no longer afraid. I'm praying that this revelation would be like a light switch in our hearts and minds and we go, okay, aha, I see this. And what we're gonna do over the next two days is explore together, what does this practically look like? Because you're hearing it, you're hearing the vision. In a moment, you're gonna hear the theology behind it and you're gonna be like, yes and amen. But because we're pragmatists, Pentecostals, spirit-filled, charismatics are pragmatists. We tend to default to the action chapter of Acts 2 onwards because it's the visible expression of the church in action. And we look at history and we go, that's where it's happening and we ignore the back of house infrastructure, the internal organs of Ephesians 4. If Acts 2 onwards is the body in action in visible form, Ephesians 4 is the internal organs infrastructure that you can't see that informs and empowers the body to do what it does in Acts chapter 2. Just like an athlete, if you watch an athlete perform a, 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 a feat or a task, run a 100-meter sprint, break a world record, swim, dance, play, uh, uh, kick a football, whatever it may be. We look at that and we see the athlete, their body is in visible form acting out that activity. But how many know there's a central nervous system, there's a brain, there's a heart, there's lungs, there's muscle fibers and tissues that are helping this athlete it, do what it does in visible form. So too in the body of Christ, there's internal organs. There's an infrastructure that is back of house to the visible body in action in the world. This is Ephesians 4. And scholars for centuries have looked at Ephesians as like a heavyweight doctrine, a heavyweight body of literature with its language, its themes, its conclusions, its outcomes that informs the church how we are to be brought together in unity. First of all, at the start of Ephesians, it deals with identity, right? Ephesians 1 blessed in spiritual, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then it moves into the mystery and revelation of the gospel. Then it moves into unity of the spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, all the ones. And then what does Paul do? He gives us one model of leadership. And what God has joined together out of this place of unity, let not man or woman pull asunder. The unity of oneness has a unity of leadership that we are to embrace if we are to go on this journey together. So what's the answer? And then we'll go have morning tea. I wanna introduce a word that has been given a bad rap in many of our pulpits in our own ministry, and that word is repent. Repentance is not feeling remorseful 
weeping, gnashing of teeth, feeling shame and feeling bad. That may be some of the symptoms of recognising we got it wrong. Repentance is a change of thinking. It's a paradigm shift. And so if we are going to actually begin to embrace the fullness of this, we've got to repent and realign the leadership structures of the local church to five-fold office of Christ. The five-fold wineskin is grace-based versus position-based. It's about observing the grace, not the title. We're not seeking the title. We're seeking the fruit of the grace. We don't wander around and go, hello, Apostle Raph, hello, Prophet Stacy, hello, Evangelist Cherie, hello, Pastor Joe, hello, Teacher Mike. Um, we're not enamored. It's not about the title. So by and large, everyone on teams, if you're in that office, you call pastor. Why? Because we understand that the general public gets that. It's a, it's a term that is familiar, used. But we also understand that the fivefold is not all just a pastor. But they carry a grace and anointing for their particular office. It's not the title, the position. It's the fruit. It's the grace. And if one of the graces is missing, the body is limited. But when the fivefold graces come together, that which is missing gets regenerated in the body. Just as the Spirit of God, when it heals a body, regenerates that body, just as when we get regenerated by the Spirit in salvation, being born of the Spirit, when the fivefold graces come together, the body's regenerated. Now, I just want you to take your hand and make it a fist. Just make it a fist. Don't hit anyone next to you. How many of us know that you've just turned your hand into a weapon? Now, when I was in the police force 20-something years ago and I went in with my comrades and went to go stop a brawl, I never saw anybody pull out their little pinky or their pointer finger and start to fight. <laughs> never saw it. I saw a whole lot of this. <laughs> the only time I ever saw this and was scared of it was when my mum pointed at me. Has anyone ever been there? It's like that when your mum points that pointer finger at you, you're gone. It's like, yep, I'm dead, right? That's the only time. Because somehow she has invested spiritual authority in heaven, right? But I've never seen anyone. Imagine the body of Christ trying to fight the good fight of faith with a little pinky. The thumb. Let's fight the good fight of faith. When there's a whole fist. And so we have got to stop fighting the good fight of faith with a finger. And all the other graces are missing. We've got to get that bunch of five together and pulverize the enemy. So fivefold graces can be likened to fingers on a hand. Really quickly. The apostle being the thumb can touch all of the other graces. There are seasons in the apostolic grace where you need to be more evangelistic. Other seasons where you need to embrace pastoral. 
other seasons where you need to be more the teacher. The apostle touches all the other graces. Every one of the graces need to have a shepherd's heart for people. I don't understand pastors even say, if it wasn't for people, ministry would be awesome. I don't get that. Because if that's our heart, we're in the wrong game. We're in the wrong business. We're actually supposed to love people and like people. They may frustrate you, but Jesus died for them. And, and, and we're one of them. It's like we sort of project as like, we're separate to the people, the sheep. No, we're one of them. We're called sheep too, right? So, so the apostle is that governing grace, to govern. The apostle is the sent one who scales for impact. And Dr. Mike's gonna unpack this more in the next session and every, every session will unpack this. Um, but, and for sake of time, I'm gonna let Dr. Mike unpack more of the apostolic grace there, but it, it can touch the other graces and it's sent to advance, its priorities to advance the kingdom. How are we taking the kingdom into other spaces? The pointer finger is the prophet. The prophet points the way, guides the way. It's a guiding function. It helps the church see and hear and reveals the Father's heart, mind and intention about what God is doing and what God is saying. It equips the church. It doesn't just prophesy. It equips the church to hear and prophesy, to discern the word of the Lord. The middle finger, otherwise known as the universal sign of disapproval, you may have received it in Melbourne traffic on the way here today, um, is the evangelist. So the next time, <laughs> the next time you get the bird, just say they're evangelizing, it's okay. It's the evangelist, why? Because the middle finger extends the furthest from the hand out of the fivefold to the world and is essentially focused on gathering the lost. Gathering the lost. If there is a, lot, a lack of gathering of lost people in our churches, maybe the evangelistic grace is lacking. And I would say by and large in most ministries, the evangelistic grace on team is lacking. That and the prophetic often. And a lot of the prophetic is mainly expressed through worship not through the other expressions of the prophetic. And so the evangelist is there to unsettle all of us in our comfort zones and say, what are you doing about lost people? Because yeah. Yeah. they're going to hell. And we've got to do something as a, as a church, okay? And their job is not just to preach the gospel and save lost people. Their job is to equip the church to be passionate, bold, informed witnesses to the gospel. What does that look like? The ring finger is the pastor. The pastor is married to the church, hatches, matches, and dispatches from the womb to the tomb. And the pastor is concerned with guarding the church, providing protection, shepherding, healing, reconciling, seeing the generations come into a place of health. The teacher, the little finger, if you remove your little finger, you will lack inherent strength and balance in your hand. But that little finger, the teacher, brings a grounding in the Word of God, the Scriptures. And so the teacher helps explain and helps us to understand, to train and strengthen the church in the truth, in the Word of God, and calls us to account when we get off pattern. Is this helping? How do they work together? They work together through a culture of honour. 
that defers to the grace that is most needed at that moment, at that point in time. This is why we all need to be secure in our grace, our calling and our revelation of who we are. Now, let me illustrate this by talking about how all the fivefold Marvel's Avengers turn up to a car accident scene. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. Let's imagine the fivefold all comes to, imagine with me an intersection, multiple car collision, there's injuries, there's bits of car everywhere, and the fivefold shows up. What does the apostle do? The apostle, the mobilizer of the fivefold team, immediately surveys and provides, discerns and provides a overarching vision for how the fivefold is going to address this issue. And after mobilizing, they move into supernatural signs and wonders, particularly in the grace of healing. The Bible is very clear that the signs of an apostle, signs and wonders. This is where the link up and download with heaven's realities become manifest in the earthly realm through the ministry of the apostle and the prophet. They may start to identify others around that they can call and mobilize and raise up as spiritual sons and daughters to help this situation. And maybe they may even work with the teacher to start a school of the spirit or a Bible college or a ministry school that actually trains people in how to avoid car accidents in the future. The prophet shows up and says, I already knew this was gonna happen. I saw this in a dream last night, but no one listens to me, do they? They just stone me and saw me in two and persecute me. This has been going on for thousands of years. I knew this was gonna happen. And the prophet immediately goes up to those who are injured and starts to call out gifts and callings, purpose and destiny. You shall not die, you shall live in Jesus' name. And begins to read their mail, reveal the secrets of their heart, then goes to the bystanders and calls out purpose, destiny, gifting and anointing in all of them and says, there's more in you, oh, be encouraged. And just encouragement breaks out like wildfire and everyone feels inspired and ready to kill a lion and let's go because the prophet shows up makes us aware of the presence of God that is in this terrible scene and situation. The evangelist shows up, goes immediately to those injured in the last moments of their life and says, if you were to die this very second, would you know that you would be going to be with Jesus in all of eternity? You need to repent of your sin and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And then once saves them, doesn't worry about praying for their healing, just goes to the bystanders and say, Did you, uh, you're in the same boat. Do you know you could? this could happen to you? You could be dead in a heartbeat, surrender your life to Jesus and then creates a resource called Sharing Jesus Confidently to actually help all of the bystanders know how they can share the gospel with others around them. The pastor shows up, thank God for the pastor because the pastor's the only one that brings the first aid kit. The pastor shows up with the bandages. He's the only one that calls triple zero and calls the paramedics to actually show up and help the situation because the pastor's thinking about the welfare, well-being and care of the injured. And so after ministering, bandaging up the injured, goes to the bystanders and has a debrief pastoral counselling session 
we need to catch up for latte this week and we need to talk and we need to debrief. Oh, no, are you in shock? I'm in shock too. We need to process this. This is something, am I right or am I right? We need to go on the journey. Hey, I know a really good counsellor. I would encourage you to go see them. Yeah, I'll be here every Sunday. I'll pray for you. Let's go on that journey. The teacher shows up and immediately surveys the scene. Starts studying the skid marks. Starts to research and take notes. Well, the car hit that way and then I saw it that way and that's why this has happened and this happened, this person didn't look and they've discerned and analysed the situation and turned all of their research into a training manual and now they're going to organise a course and all of us are gonna come and we're gonna be taught, then they're gonna organise a Bible college, a school of the Spirit and we are going to teach people how they can avoid car accidents like this again. And then the business manager shows up and say, how are we gonna fund this? And we'll learn more about that later. <laughs> the fivefold works together by understanding that everyone brings a grace and an anointing. And we are secure and we're growing in that grace, but through honour for each other's graces, we're not competing. It's not a hierarchical relationship, it's a collaborative relationship. Someone needs to be a mobiliser. Someone needs to, if there's a gridlock and a deadlock, needs to be able to make a final call. But all fivefold knows that in that moment, we defer to that grace because that's the grace that is needed at that time. 95% of the ideas of what we do in our church does not come from me or the apostle, the apostolic grace. It comes from the fivefold graces. Yeah, that seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Let's go and do that. Why don't you stand together? When every ministry is aligned and relating to each other. Good teaching, hey? Yeah, covers a lot of the bases. Uh, excellent foundational teaching for where we're heading. Um, this sort of fivefold's been on my heart for a long time. I had, as I said, you couple of weeks ago, I've got some teaching I'm going to get into that I've had my computer for five years now. So we're going to look at it more and more and more because this is what the church is starting to develop an understanding of, then we can move into it more and more. And how the church can operate in the fivefold in the local setting. And so we'll speak about that more. Now, Just one thing I want to mention at the moment. I had a dream. <laughs> and uh, this was, I've been, I've been processing this for a long time. And during the week I was looking more on the fivefold ministry. And for the sake of time I'll make this quick. I had this dream, I woke up Thursday morning about 1.30 in the morning. Caleb, can you put the photo up for me? I woke up and I saw that. 
to cricket bat with a broken handle. And I'm laying awake for a while, I'm thinking, what is that? What has that got to do with anything? I don't even like cricket. <laughs> cricket was not my focus. I wasn't dreaming about cricket. Just, and this is the image I could see very clearly. I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, what is this? What does this mean? And uh, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, Doing church without the fivefold model is like playing cricket with a bat that's got a broken handle. You can still get your hand on that part of the bat and you can still hit a ball, but you can't swing the bat. You're not going to hit any over-the-boundary sixes with a broken bat. And said to me that the handle is like the fivefold. And if you've only got one portion, a little section of that operating on your bat, the church is the bat. For the church to hit the six, to get the boundary, you know, the great hits, to get the, the, the best you can do with a, a cricketer is to get a six, isn't it? Isn't that what you're looking for? Okay, so you've got to have the complete handle to do that. You can't do it with a portion of the handle. You'll get a little bit of it. You can still do a lot of churches operating just a little portion of the handle. And you can play bat and ball with that, but you're not going to hit any over the boundary sixes, are you? For the job to be done really well, the way it's supposed to play the game and get it done well, we need the, the right equipment. So it was very clear that God just spoke and said, look, you know, many churches are operating with a damaged bat or not so much that, or incomplete. That's probably a better way of saying it. So we're looking towards the fivefold equipping of the church where everybody is operating in and under the grace anointing, but it can only work through a humility of spirit. That is the key to it. If there's ego in the church, in the ministry, it's not going to work. There has to be a humility and an honouring of one another, and that's what I'm going to share more about when I get into the other teaching about the fivefold. So, We'll uh, get into that later on. We're going to have communion now. So if you've got your elements, you haven't, up the back or over there. Do you, do you like the the representation of the hand and the and the different ministries? I've I've shared that with a number of people um, um, already, 
and it's such an easy way to remember the different um, giftings. If you think about the fingers, um, they're all joined to the hand. And, and I like the representation of the, of the fist also <laughs> to, um, to uh, deal with the enemy. <laughs> but, you know, the hand, what does the hand follow? What does the hand follow? Follows whatever's coming from the head. Your hand will do whatever your head's telling it to do. And that's the connection. That's the connection here. This is what Jesus did for us. He enabled this to be a reality. He enabled this to be the reality of his church that he is building. And, you know, when, when he had that interaction um, with, with, um, with his disciples and, and, and said, who do, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter came out with the, the, the revelation of you, you, are the, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. <laughs> and, and the next thing that Jesus said is, is been misinterpreted. It's been taken by the, by the church um, early on and misinterpreted. He said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He wasn't going to build his church on Peter. It's the rock is the revelation of the name of Jesus Christ. And as the church gets the revelation, as we individually get the revelation of the name of Jesus Christ, then God will build his church. <laughs> and all those ministries, all those ministries are the gifts that God, that Jesus left when he ascended. He said, okay, okay, guys. <laughs> This is, what you, this is what you've got to work with. Now work with it and build my body. <laughs> it all started with his sacrifice. Without this, there is nothing else. Without what he did to enable every human being, every human heart to come into relationship with him, there is nothing else. And that's why we remember this. That's why we take this and that's why as that revelation unfolds in our heart, this is power. This is a power meal. It's healing for our body. Hallelujah. It is healing for our body because he's took all that punishment upon himself. He was broken that we might be healed. And then it's the life of God that just flows within us. And that's what, that's what he's after. He's after the life of the Spirit of God to be flowing in our mortal bodies. I'd like to stand. Jesus, you said do this in remembrance of you. But it is so much, so much more. And Lord, we thank you for your death, your resurrection. And Lord, all the gifts that you have given. But Lord, we thank you primarily for the relationship that we can have with you. Hallelujah. Let's eat together.
Lord, we take this meal in obedience, but we also take it in faith, Lord. What you said is true and right and holy, and you will have your way. So, Father, we just thank you that you're building your church, and it started with you, and it's all about you. So let's drink together. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, yeah, some good teaching there. Plenty to uh, have a look at and to chew on. But uh, yeah, I too had the, like the analogy of the hand. And while it was happening, I... Uh, this thought, well, the hand, each finger can move individually and do a little bit here and there. But when they come together as a fist, there's a far greater impact. So, yeah, as a church, we need to come together as a fist and smack that enemy. So, yeah, just, yeah, our weekly stuff is all happening. Getting playgroup happening in here, 9.30 to 11 in the morning. Uh, the women are going out at, um, to the Gold Square Hotel. They're getting on the beers. <laughs> well, probably not, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, so they could come and pray about it on uh, Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yep, there's also a prayer meeting over there in the Wyndham Room, so more prayer. Um, and Kingdom Youth with Mel on Friday and her team to impact the future warriors. So, yeah, that's uh, us for today. Okay, apparently there's some vanilla slices out there, so with your coffee, so enjoy. So, yep, go out, go into the week and be a fist.